Welcome to Bold Conscious Connections. My name is Raju Panjwani and I'm a certified leadership coach. And I'm Trisha Ramos, a certified high performance coach. Together, we help business leaders redefine success on their terms to create more space and energy so that they live impactful lives. Everyone wants to be seen, heard, and understood. So at a deeper level, we know that the collective consciousness is important to raise in this world. And leaders who are influencers can make that difference. We, in our coaching programs, teach people how to focus on the interconnectedness, heart-centeredness, and growth from within. And this is what this podcast will be about. So stay tuned and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. Talk to you very soon. This episode features an unconventional guest in that we saw leadership, a sermon leadership in action for four weeks of interacting with David Matthews. David is a hospitality veteran with over three decades of experience, having worked with leading organizations in the industry in India and other countries. Graduate and gold medalist from the Oberoi Center of Learning and Development, he has a master's in international hotel management from the University of Buckingham in the UK. He has been a general manager with the Oberoi Hotels and Resorts since 2004. For those of you who don't know Oberoi, that is a beautiful, wonderful hospitality uh, par excellence type of group uh, that is well known for its service. David currently manages the Trident BKC in Mumbai, the second largest hotel of the Oberoi Group. He has run award-winning properties of the chain, such as the Oberoi Gurgaon, Trident Gurgaon, and Wildflower Hall in the Himalayas. Besides being an operations specialist, he is a published author and an award-winning researcher. His interests include food and beverage management, revenue management, human resource management, and talent development. Without further ado, here is our conversation with David Matthews. David, so delighted to have you here with us on this episode of Bold Conscious Connections. Uh, for those of you listening to us, uh, David David Matthews runs the Trident Hotel in Mumbai, and we we had the honor of being his guests at the hotel uh, when we launched our business, Trisha and I. So. Welcome, David, and we can't wait to have this conversation unfold and, and hear, hear some perspectives. A lot has changed in two years. Absolutely. Oh, great. It, thank you so much for having me here. And yes, uh, it was interesting times when we first met, but uh, a lot has changed and some has not. So it's uh, great and good people are still just as great and good as they all as well. Mm. So, no, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yes. You know, it's hard to believe that it was almost two years ago when uh, we met, when Raju and I uh, flew to India on March 8th and landed on March 9th. And we were staying at your hotel. And there's uh, so many great stories that probably won't be shared on this podcast. <laughs> um, but just really the... I think the adventure, you know, that we had and um, just quickly mention the hospitality that you and your team, the entire hotel staff, um, you know, what you showed us during a very unique 
um, moment that we all got to participate in and share in. So um, it's it's an honor to have you on with us today. Raju and I flew back about a month later from Mumbai. And since then, a whole bunch of things have unfolded with our business. And, you know, we just want to take a moment to honor you and the, the Trident and BKC because we we really birthed our business um, in, in that hotel <laughs> with your support. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and you experienced all that we were going through at the moment and it, it's like giving birth to a baby and i think it was it, it's just been such a great journey for us and you were you were a big part of it so i want to just set some context uh david the, the you know you know we we're, we're called bold conscious connections and we focus on leaders uh our programs are called bold conscious leadership or bold conscious always something else so since you are a leader and we saw you in action um, and you're, you're, you're the classic example and I think a lot of your colleagues and I happen to know other colleagues, former colleagues of yours who are no longer with the, with the group uh, but who's, who spent decades there. And it's really so amazing to see leaders in operation, particularly in a crisis, which is how you, we saw you at the, in, in that moment in March 2020. Uh, but it also... The, the, the way you the way you present yourself so we, we were really impressed and so taken by uh, by that so I just wanted to set the context for our listeners to say okay well David Matthews is a great example of a living servant leader and I know you're in the hospitality business but there is hospitality and then there is hospitality so you know where you where you've been trained etc so I'd like to just ask you first to Give us a little background and what is it that really got you into this business? Clearly, you're very much at, at home with, with that business. So give us a little background and why, why you chose what you did. And then, of course, you've been you know, in many years in, this, uh, in the hotel. Sure. Uh, well, as I always quip and say, I got into this uh, by accident and on account of laziness. I wanted to be a journalist when I was nearing my graduation. And, uh, well, I was actually... In those days, no internet, right? And this, I'm talking about 1988, 89, USIS and looking up whatever you had to do for if you wanted to do something postgraduate. And the Oberoi's were actually, we as a company, the Oberoi's goes to colleges which are not uh, catering institutes, but just regular colleges. And I was doing my BA in economics. Uh, and they make presentations out there saying, if you want a career in hospitality, come join us. This is what we can offer you. I've always loved working with people. There's no question about that, whether it was in school or college. Uh, I've been part of various events. We used to have a sort of an annual intercollegiate do in our college, which is fairly well known in Mumbai. And I worked with them for four years, moving from a sort of a head of a single event to vice chairperson in my final year. And that's because I enjoy working with folks, trying to find a common agenda, and then trying to figure out how we can all get to where we want to go together. So. I went, sat through this. It seemed interesting. And, uh, well, I, I always quit. One of the reasons I probably got in is because he agreed to pay my airfare for my final interview in Delhi. So I got to go on a free trip, uh, meet with friends out there. And uh, I think in a certain sense, they were offering me a more structured future, whereas the alternative would be striking out on my own. I'm a Virgo and I'm therefore DNA-driven relatively 
less risk prone, more risk averse. So I think I chose a, an available, pleasant option, which worked. Uh, I knew about hotels, but not from a functional perspective. And uh, I think I enjoyed what I got to do. There's a lot of logic in what we do. Uh, and uh, in a certain sense, like a magician, it's scientific, but it's also visually sleight of hand. So you need to try and make it look effortless. And I always quip, I mean, those service doors between the back area in, let's say, a banquet hall and what happens at that sit-down gala dinner. There's magic that happens in those doors. There's utter chaos on one side. And then it sort of seems to sort itself out on this side. So I think over the years, just that working with young people constantly just makes me feel a little less aged. But as a journey, I started with the Oberoi's. I, I've spent, of the 30 years in hospitality, I've spent about 25 with this company. Uh, spent a while outside doing a master's and um, yeah, with a little bit with the, the Park Plaza group. But just the fact that you get to go out there and do something creative, which is different each time. And the what I like about what I do is the immediacy of the reaction. You know when you nailed it or when you haven't. But... Mm. It's not like, you know, designing a car and having to wait five years to see if somebody really loves it. So mm. that, that's what really works and keeps me coming back. I mean, to, to come back at the end of 30 years, I was just asked by somebody I was interviewing for a job today. So talk to me about what makes you enjoy your job 30 years down the line. I said, I still have fun. I just have great a great time every day. And so then what's not to like? I mean, you've got one life. If you're going to have fun, I can't see a reason why he's going to chuck it. So. You make it sound like it was so, uh, you know, easeful and it's just been a, it's been an easy journey, but, but uh, talk, talk a little bit about the, you know, the Uber I group, because obviously you've been there, we said three decades, right? Or, or thereabouts. Yeah. What is it about that group and what, what makes them exemplary? To, to... It's a company that walks the talk. And in the Indian context, I honestly believe the true belief in what hospitality, uh, luxury, and the fact that investing in both your people and what you offer your guest without the necessary need for an immediate return on your investment. I mean, the long game is what this company believes in. Uh, and I think before I joined this company, I remember way back, I think in early 1981, when we had the Festival of France being held in India. And I remember reading a newspaper article where at that point in time, Swami Tehom was the president and he, their whole delegation was coming down to Mumbai for the launch. They wanted to stay at the Oberoi, but they would have taken over the whole hotel, uh, the Trident at that point of time, point, and uh, we said no. So they went to the Taj, which is sort of business harakiri in a certain sense. But I remember Mr. Oberoi talking to the media and saying, look, this is happening once and won't happen for the next 30 years. For that, for that whole month, I would say no to my regulars, my bread and butter, the people who count on me, a part of the family, and, you know, hey, it's a business decision, and this is the one we're taking. Um, I think that underpins the essence of what this company is. It's clear in what it wants to do, who its uh, real source of business is, and uh, we're quite unwavering in our commitment to delivering that to our guests. Uh, our founder chairman said very clearly, right? Deliver the best and the money will come eventually and automatically. Mm. So mm. it's, it's, 
it's fun to be it's able really, to really do it this way. Yeah, it's it sounds so simple, and it actually is, and it's true. <laughs> um, and we certainly got to experience that um, a couple of years ago. What that is like. Can you speak a little bit about how those values might have been challenged um, or what opportunities you might have had the past couple of years to really um, stand by them? You know, it's, it's been an unusually challenging time for everybody, but especially the hospitality industry. So can you speak about perhaps lessons you've learned um, as an individual, as a leader, and also as a business, how how you might have evolved um, because of the pandemic? Sure. Um, first, I'll sort of try to look at it from the bigger picture of two of the decisions that I think our company took for its people. And I'm proud to say that we stood by our people. So there was a marginal salary cut for the rank and fire team. And when I say marginal, it's 10%, okay? But otherwise, nobody was retrenched. It cost us, it cost us a lot, but I, and these are the times I value being part of this company because the top management took no salary for a long time. The answer was very clear, we're responsible. And that sense of senior parental, elder brother, whatever you want to call it in terms of, you know, a family where you've got the elders who look after the youngers. And that was eminently evident in every aspect. So we have said no to some business opportunities that came our way, which while probably lucrative in a certain sense, may have entailed bringing in a certain kind of business that might have caused the potential or possibility of some exposure of our, our team members to, you know, people who hadn't necessarily been screened well enough from a health perspective or whatever. And again, very clear, we'll walk away from it. So learnings that I got from this, and I know that this has stood us in good stead because um, we've had some youngsters. I mean, we have a lot of young people. The average age of the team is about 23 years and they're ambitious. Some of them had moved out to other opportunities and um, had a tough time in the world outside because a lot of the global brands in their business model. All the staff are actually on the payroll of the owning company, right? But the owning company is a business saying, hey, I built a building. You fill it with people when you've got business to run. And if you don't have business, you know, you deal with the people. So in a lot of places, they got caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, came back and said, listen, we now value even more what this company is all about. So looking after the people, both from a financial standpoint, but also from their safety and health was one of the big learnings that I took away from this, where you always say, yes, you'll do it in a conceptual sense. But I think uh, the rubber hit the road in a really harsh and meaningful way where you had to walk the talk. There was no, you know, skirting it. And uh, that for me was a huge learning because when you did that, and even as a validation for what was done before, the way the team rallied, I mean, when India went into lockdown, right, we had to bring all the team in, 200 of them stay in-house for almost a five and a half month period so that they could be present here and look after our guests. Not a whimper, not a crib, 
everybody just shouldered the wheel, head down, and doing amazing stuff con constantly and consistently without even being asked. Mm. Um, it's a humbling sense of family, camaraderie, almost magnanimity on their part. I mean, they had the right to turn around and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, 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 I'm taking the fifth in a sense, you know, but hey, none of that. So from that perspective of dealing with our people and as an organization, big learnings. Um, the protocols we put in place, the fact that we were tough, we, we put out stringent protocols. We were the first hotel company, and I, I actually did a bit of research and study on that. And, uh, my wife and I, we published a paper on this. And Oberoi's was actually one of the first to put out all its standards in the public domain on its website, saying, this is what we do in every area. And I remember asking my CEO, saying, why would we do that? And he said, because it allows us to now be telling our guests, you can hold us accountable to what we say we're going to do. We're not going to just give you generalizations. We're going to give you specifics saying every half an hour, I will sanitize all lift doors or buttons. So if you don't see it being done every half an hour, you can call me out on it. It just makes us more accountable, makes us better at what we do. So again, from reassuring our guests and trying to create that safe bubble, doing what it takes, and therefore in certain cases saying, hey, we will not do social distancing in the restaurant. It is very easy for me to, you know, everybody wants to have breakfast at the same time on the weekend. And the answer is I have to open up more areas rather than put more people together so that social distancing gets ignored. So it's small things like that, that again, from the guest perspective, I learned may seem trivial to you. You may think people don't care, but it's been immensely enriching to see how many people come back saying, hey, I noticed that. And it may be small, but you know, I saw somebody doing it. I saw them doing it without being seen or watched. Nobody was checking on them, but they did it because they believed in it. So I think for me, those are the big takeaways. When you see it makes sense and it carries value for both your people and your guests, uh, it's, it's a great confluence. Mm. Wow. So that's, that's gotta be, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about this present, but these, these past two years and the pandemic, uh, my first experience with the Oberoi's was in 1995, I believe when I first, you know, came from the U S to visit India and I had no idea, uh, what was the Oberoi and what was, I mean, I obviously knew what that, what that was, but, and, um, the company I worked for, you know, had a relationship with the other hotel you mentioned earlier. So, uh, so, so not to, not to create comparisons. I mean, they're all people's choices. Uh, I say two nights over there and then someone suggested I, you know, look at the Oberoi, which was down the road and I did. And so the, the, the loyalty I've had now to the Oberoi group for the last 26 years, it's clearly there is something there. So when you talk about these, these recent challenges versus the way it's been, uh, it's not that stark a contrast, I would imagine, right? It's probably, uh, this is the culture of the organization. You're spot on. Would you attribute that commitment of your employees and the loyalty of your customers to, to, to that or what, what would you say? I would say that completely. Hmm. It, I don't think we sort of created or wrote ourselves a new dharma. Hmm. We were tested on what we claim to believe, what we did practice. We were just you were made to walk 
over the coals to really prove that what you said was what you did. So I think this really tested us, but we've always valued, I mean, our founder chairman, he keeps telling you that. You've got his quotes everywhere saying, you know, it's people that make what a business or a hotel what it really is. Otherwise, it's just, a, you know, it's a very fancy monument and could be a mausoleum. So hmm. um, I, I agree completely. And it's, I think, like you said, what I love is this company is a company that pretty much walks the talk. Uh, and if you like doing, at least I love doing hoteliering by doing it the way we say we're going to do it rather than, you know, posture in one way and then actually say, oh, well, the number of exceptions are sort of greater than the number of conformance, uh, you know, conformances. So. Beautiful. David, how would you say, in what ways would you say that you are even better, better than you were two years ago as a leader, as a manager, as a person, as an individual? So I'll go through all three. As a leader, I think I've learned to, I've, I've gone through a greater set of challenges and adversities than I had before. It's taught me that I can stretch myself. It's taught me that, it's, I wouldn't say it's taught me, it's just reaffirmed my belief in the people I work with. And when you've got that, that, that comfort that, you know, you know, they're going to be there and they will carry it through. And very often you don't even have to tell them they understand it. Uh, I think it cuts you a lot of slack. You can then help facilitate more rather than have to direct. And I think if there's one thing this whole time has allowed me to do is to sit, not sit back, but to actually move further from the front line and watch a lot of it being done, part of it maybe by collective discussion and thing, but a lot of it, they just take the ball and run with it. So for me as a leader, I've learned that you don't have to, because again, I said, I'm a verb white. I have the natural uh, propensity to micromanage. So I think I've, I've learned that it's nice, but you've got to back off a little bit. And I think I managed to see that happening. And the gratifying part is you learn to accept a broader spectrum of end results, which are still really meaningful. It, it actually broadens your own repertoire of what, you know, you didn't think that these things were going to really be something that people loved because you hadn't thought of them, but others think of it, do it. And then you're saying, wow, I could, you know, sound smart by suggesting this the next time, but actually it's a whole bunch of the team who've come up with a great idea. So as a leader, I think that's something that's taught me a lot. As an individual, I think I'm learning not to be afraid because this, this can take the bottom out of, you know, the battle. But if you've decided that all things will pass, then it gives you a certain sense of equanimity. You just sort of, you roll with the punches and you will come out the other side and, and, and all, all will be well with the world. So uh, my, my favorite days right now is even for people who worry, I said, look, just get it, get over it and get on with it. Because, you know, it's going to be a flu. 
it, that doesn't bother you, this should stop bothering you. Let's, let's, you know, not make so much out of it. So yeah. that's really some, these, these, these are really two areas or a few aspects that I felt I benefited. Awesome. Wonderful. You know, the name of our <clears throat> podcast, as you know, is Bold Conscious Connections. So we always are interested in hearing from our guests what the word bold means to you and why it's important to be bold, especially today. For me, I think bold is having a deep-seated belief in something that drives you to what is a goal. So it doesn't matter whether it's acceptable or not acceptable. And I, for me, bold is not about breaking the mold. For me, bold is something that just goes much deeper into your unwavering belief that this is what needs to be done. And you've got the guts, the willingness, the commitment and courage to just go out and do it. So that's how, where I see bold as being, uh, whether it's standing up to someone and saying, hey, I, I mean, I always joke, the two people I expect to be bold vis-a-vis -vis me and my organization or my head of finance and my head of human resources, they are my conscience keepers. And I said, you've got to call me out and say, hey, you're the boss, but in my opinion, and as for the books, you're wrong. So, uh, and for me, that's, that's where I believe it comes from. It's sort of, it's belief driven. Mm. You know, you've hit some big leadership lessons already in this short conversation. You've spoken about the, the, you know, when you walk the talk, you actually create the trust, which then builds loyalty with your employees and customers. You talked about, you know, moving with faith. In other words, you know, you said fear, you learn not to be afraid, but then the other side of it is that you have something something larger that you believe, you know, as you say, it's going to pass, but what is that? Where does that come from? It's, it's that having that little extra faith that, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll work this out. It'll all pass. And, and, but you move anyway, you can't just sit there stuck. So really, really profound lessons. So I just want to touch on something, you know, the rubber meets the road in these challenging times, particularly in your business, uh, not just the industry, but the fact that you need to still deliver based on your corporate culture. So in, your, in, in typical hospitality or other retail businesses, the customer is always right. So no matter what, you're there to serve, uh, you'll figure it out even though they, you may deep down think it's, they're really not right, but you just go with it. So describe any, any situations in your life where you just feel that there's an in, inner conflict that you feel which can be challenging and then spills over into other parts of your life. I mean, you're human. So yes, you, you want to be unwavering and steady, you know, with your employees and customers, but somewhere internally there is a conflict. Uh, and, and then how have you overcome those as, as you face them? Because it's, you know, there's no, there's no way around having that stress and anxiety perhaps. Different aspects, if I may touch on, mm -hmm. um, with guests, my first argument is always we put ourselves in their shoes and see it from their point of view. And there's a very long, long, long road of, you know, 
understanding and acceptance that you will have. Uh, where I have always drawn the line is fundamental respect for each other. I think that is the bedrock of human interaction. So where I have drawn a line in the past is where I've had cases where people were disrespectful openly and in public to members of my team. Um, well, I would always just stand up and say, listen, we respect you, but we're not going to be able to, we're uncomfortable serving you henceforth. So, you know, we do believe you need to sort of find someone who's still comfortable serving you because um, unfortunately, despite requests and attempts, things may have gone a bit off the rails. And while we understand it and we're not going to make a song and dance about it, uh, we do have the, we reserve the right right to sort of retreat ourselves and say, you know, so far no more, especially when one's being disrespected to one's peers. Uh, and anecdotally, I'll go back to many years ago on the 31st of December in one of the restaurants I ran. It was an all, all day dining restaurant. It always gets very busy post midnight on the 31st because everybody parties. In. And there was one particular gentleman with two of his guests who broke the queue and just went and physically occupied a table. And I just went up and said, I'm sorry, but that's not being fair. So please, you know, do respect. Said, I'm not going to get up. I'm going to move. I said, fine. But then please understand that. And I told my team in front of me, I said, this table will be served when I tell you they'll be served. Because I owe it to everybody outside to be equally fair. So yeah, they did have sort of a 25 minute sitting at a table with no service experience. May not be the right thing to do in some points of view, but um, for me, I think it's also important that we sometimes draw a line in the sand. So from a guest perspective, from a personal perspective, being able to actually look somebody in the eye and call it as I see it is critically important to me. So I think I've had issues where in some instances, and I know that I've come out uh, maybe slightly disadvantaged personally and professionally as a career perspective from taking a stand saying, look, if that's what needs to be done, conscience-wise and fair play-wise, I'm not the guy to be able to do it. So I'm going to pass and you might find somebody else who can be your hatchet man or who can be your ambassador for whatever it is. But uh, there are times when there is that conflict and uh, I need to sleep easy at night. Okay, I've got one life and when I look back, I just want to be able to say, hey, I did the best I could and... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of what I did. So, yeah. I don't know if that sort of got anywhere close to what you were. That's okay. I'm just, I'm just starting a question and see where you go with it. So we're, we're fine. I mean, we're just, I was trying to get at how else does it spill over into the rest of your life? Because now you spent probably 12, 14, 15 hours in your work so your work is your life but you have children your family etc so and friendships so all of those you know but that's so this is a good yeah story. well my wife is a hotel widow as she would mm. probably tell you and uh well so interestingly 
how it impacts your family life. I moved up to what one of our hotels, took over as GM, and two months after the family joined me there, the hotel was no kids below 12, and my daughter was below 12. So she was suddenly banned from entering the hotel her dad worked in. Um, it was challenging, but again, for me, it was very simple. If I turned on and told my guests that they couldn't have their kids below 12 there, um, I thought it was very important that I didn't set a different standard for myself. So has it impacted on various occasions? I mean, the fact that you're always working, especially in food and beverage, which I spent the better part of my working career in, you're always working holidays, whenever the rest of the world has got time off and doing stuff. Uh, and it turns you into an interesting individual because one year I was part of the pre-opening of the Trident in Golgao and we opened on the 1st of January. So the 31st, I was actually free. I wasn't on the shop floor and I was a sort of slightly displaced individual. I had no clue how to deal with the day. Yeah. Because for me, the 31st is all about planning the buffet, worrying about the number of tickets sold, setting the place up and, you know, getting the job done. Uh, so I had to just tell my wife, look, please take off and do something because I am lost. So, yeah, I mean, it, it takes over your life. It makes, it is who you are. And uh, I think letting your hair down when you're not at work, when you're a young manager, you tend to go sort of just go a bit berserk when you're not at work. But as time goes on, I know personally, it makes me a bit of a, a hermit crab when I'm not at work because again, I'm not necessarily the most social of beings DNA wise. So I think I use up my sociability quotient at work. So curling up in front of the TV is just so peaceful. So yeah, I mean, it, it does have an impact on the other side of one's life, but it, I think over these many years, it's become in, inextricably part of who I am. So, um, the flip side is, yeah, I love being a great host at home. Uh, I worry to think what I will do when I actually have to cook the complete menu that I'd like to offer, but, uh, I enjoy the perks of the job and can be hospitable with somebody else actually doing the hard work. So, yeah. And we had firsthand experience of that. So we still, was it memorable? It's, it's always a joy. It's always a joy. Evenings like yes. that. You know, I mean, there's nothing more gratifying than sharing a table with people who matter and creating memories. Beautiful. David, I'm sure in your role, there's, there's many, you know, uh, many people that you mentor. Um, what, what couple of things, one is what would they say about you, these people that you've served as a mentor for? Um, what, what would they say about you? If someone asked them, you know, tell me about David Matthews, what do you suspect that they would say? Well, I hope they'd say fair and tough love, because I think those are the two things that I tend to value as personal life lessons and things that I You've got to live by the standards you preach and uh, lead by example. So be as fair as you can. To me, I think that settles a lot of the issues that you could otherwise have. I mean, when I talk to any group of my team who are being promoted from team to supervisor, supervisor to manager, one of the things I always touch on is how do you operate in your sphere of influence by being transparent and fair 
And I always um, sort of ask them this question. I said, like, somebody makes an error in public. Where do you reprimand them? And everybody says in private. And I said, great. So if you've done it in private, what do you do to reassure me who's not been part of that private conversation that has happened? Because I know that I'm getting chewed out in private, albeit, when I make a mistake and I'm not so sure everybody else is. So I always personally recommend that I would always do that sort of white-labeled touching on what went wrong in a common forum saying, hey, you know, this happened today and hey, let's learn lessons from it. But it's sort of, I found, tables the fact that it's not gone unnoticed, it's been dealt with, it's acknowledged and moved forward. So, you know, I mean, that kind of transparency is what I try to encourage all of them to look at because I find that it takes away a lot of the... Uh, The, the, the mist, the, the fact that people harbor misgivings, mm. it, when, when people believe that there's purity of your intent, a lot of uh, noise and chatter in the middle just gets blown away. So uh, I'm, I would hope that they would say that of me. Wonderful. Where do you get your leadership inspiration from? Are there any, um, any, you know, leadership figures in particular that you follow or books that you've read that um, our listeners might benefit from reading? Drive Daniel Pink. It, made me, it made me think differently. Um, I tend to just try to look at people around me and I think in a lot of cases some of what I do and lead is actually the outcome of the people I lead and having open conversations with them when, when they actually start because at the end of the day whatever I might want to lead them to if it doesn't work for them it's going to become compulsion. So I found just conversations with a lot of my team at various points of time where you manage to get them into a space where they're willing to, you know, tell you as it is. Uh, some of my great leadership lessons have actually come from there, where they've just either told you to back off or they've said, listen, uh, I know one of my developmental areas, and I'm the first to admit it, is uh, just learning to visibly appreciate more. I'm very low on the need for appreciation as an individual. Um, so it comes through as a bit of a challenge where I I need to learn and I school myself in patting people on the back a lot more often than naturally occurs to me. Mm. So you know, those, so I mean, yeah, is there a single or a set of people that I would read or sort of say, that's the leader? No, a whole bunch of people over the years and bits and pieces, I mean, our executive chairman, my ex-colleague and ex-president of the company, Kapil Chopra, a lot of things that he did. Um, you just take snippets of what they did, which you believe would work for you. And uh, then, like I tell everybody, you've got to you've got to cobble together your own model because you're unique, and therefore your model is going to be equally unique. I love that. I love. I love learning from your people, like you just said, you know, um, the inspiration that a lot of times we're looking for is literally in front of us. 
Um, and it's those moment to moment interactions that really can teach us so much if we're present to them. So thank you for sharing that. Very powerful. So, um, you know, having, having, as I said, interacted with your predecessors and some other colleagues of yours, there is such a commonality, which that one thread, of course, comes through uh, from the culture of the organization. But everyone has brought their own stamp uh, to, to create what they believe in, what they stand for. So that's the uniqueness that you mentioned is, is really, you know, just for those listening to this, we always encourage people to be their own unique self and express themselves in the way they are regardless of what's outside of them. So that's beautiful. So the second word in our, in our title here is the conscious piece. Are there any practices, David, that, that allow you to keep conscious, if, if you can use the word conscious in the way you like to? Mostly it's about awareness, but it's deeper than that. Oh, and there's several levels of consciousness. So what, what do you understand consciousness to be? And then what do you, what do, you do in your day-to-day life to, to really remain present, as, as you seem to indicate? Well, for me, I think a lot of it is staying plugged in, uh, getting out there among the people, among the space in the area, especially in the kind of industry that we run, right? You've got to be out there to get a feel of it, understand it and respond to it. Um, I always fear that if you sit and create, because Let's be honest, as managers, part of what we do is design processes to enable our people. But if I design that process from a distance and sometimes not on the shop floor, I always fear that I might end up doing more of a cerebral exercise than something. And you know, then it would require significant tweaking to be meaningful to the folks on the shop floor. So uh, I think being out there and being therefore conscious of the universe that you are in to address, to deal with, being surrounded by it and letting it wash over you is critically important. Not taking yourself overly seriously uh, is, I think, a key element to being conscious because sometimes if you take yourself too seriously, you lose the plot. Uh, It would, I mean, like I always say, you are nothing but a cog in the wheel. And the day you start believing that you are something more than that, you sometimes lose the perspective because every cog, if missed, is a gear that slipped. So it has value. And, you know, I mean, for me, that's something that really works. Um, It helps me not assume that I have sort of get out of jail free cards that others don't. Because I think, you know, then I'm not sort of really being in the moment with them. Uh, We each have a job and we know what that is. And so long as we understand that, but simple things, hey, my argument whenever I go down to the, for for a meal to the team dining room, everybody's very courteous, you know, please. I'm like, no dude, this is team dining room team are people who are employed by the company. I get a salary. I stand in line. Let's be clear about that. Uh, And if there's somebody who needs to get somewhere in a hurry for something, 
you jump the queue ahead of me because you're serving somebody and maybe I just don't have a meeting for the next 25 minutes. I can wait. So for me, I think uh, staying conscious of who you are, sometimes staying conscious of who you are not because we, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves and then being in the moment with the people around you, the situation around you and the world around you would be how I would sort of say conscious translates for me. Mm. That's a unique answer. That's awesome. That's so personalized. I love it. Beautiful. Well, David, you know, we certainly, we said we'd ask you a handful of questions. I know we asked you way more than a handful already, <laughs> but it's been, it's been so great uh, talking with you and learning from you. And, you know, we don't take anything for granted. And certainly this conversation has been an opportunity for us to learn even more about you and, and, um, the Oberoi and the culture and and just um, it, it I, I got to personally experience what you're talking about and you know to hear you describe it in this way um, so to have had the experience and then to hear you talk about it and to hear the passion coming through still even after 30 years um, you know, makes me really appreciate the time that I had staying at your hotel even more. Um, and with that, you know, the learning never stops. We don't take anything for granted. And certainly this podcast episode is one that our audience will um, appreciate. In that context, um, what discoveries might you have had or what learnings might you have had from this, from this conversation? reflection it's it got me to think about things that you do but put them into context and in in opposition to what i just said about being in the mo in the moment in the space i think sometimes to give yourself meaningful perspective you've got to pull yourself back and just look at it look at yourself if possible out of body experience so um, I think I enjoyed doing that because it gave me pause to have to think through what I might do after 30 years almost viscerally. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes maybe it, it, after a while it becomes muscle memory and you need to f go back and remember why the muscles do what they do and why they're doing it in that order. So yes. I think I love, yeah. love that about having this conversation. Mm -hmm. So reflection for me would be my takeaway. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yes. I'm going to add my thanks to you and your uh, company to allow you to do this. I know it's not always easy to, to have, you know, like a public conversation out there, but I'm sure this is a plug for them as well. And I believe, oh, by, by the way, uh, we also, Trisha and I spent a couple of nights at the Trident Gurgaon, which I highly yes. encourage our listeners to really Make sure when they go to Delhi or these places uh, in Mumbai that you, well, certainly the Gurgaon Trident is, is, is a unique piece of, piece of art and uh, it's just absolutely beautiful and uh, that you go check it out. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add, uh, David? Uh, some things that will be in the show notes, uh, but is there something uh, 
Is there any reason uh, that you would like to, to just extend this conversation with something, something you want to leave our listeners with? Maybe. Nothing but the fact that, as I always say, I just consider myself blessed. Mm. You've got one life, and if you can come to work every day to do stuff that leaves you feeling good about what you did at the end of the day. Uh, like I said, I'm doing it 30 years later because I just love it. So I'm eternally grateful to the powers that be that I stumbled on this and I'm going back to the opening question. Yeah. Maybe it was laziness. Maybe it was whatever it is, but thank God it was because I, I was going to say, thank God for laziness. <laughs> Amen. So yeah, I mean, Hey, I wouldn't have it any other way. I am very happy to look back and say, do I wish I was a doctor or something else? No, I'm just happy doing what I do. And listen, to get to work with the kind of people I work with every day, watch them do the magic they do. I always quit, right? As a general manager in a hotel, you're Dumbledore, okay? You're just here for the ride and the magicians are all the Harry Potters out there. That's what makes wow. the magic happen. And Ooh, we're going to use that as a title for this one. <laughs> I really loved... Um... I really loved what you shared and the energy and for our listeners listening who are maybe questioning themselves right now in terms of the work that they do and whether or not they should keep doing it. Um, well, here you heard it yourself, what it sounds like when you really do love what you do, um, what it feels like. You can certainly hear that in David's voice. and. You know, um, if, if, if that's not what you're able to come up with, with your own experience, then keep questioning. So mm. with that, thank you so much, David, for, for joining us today. It was truly an honor to have you. And I know we've planned this conversation for a while, but perhaps this is divine timing because it is almost to the two years, <laughs> a two year anniversary of our meeting. <laughs> no, congratulations to both of you on what is obviously the tremendous trajectory of, you know, enrichment that both of you have gone on in terms of, I mean, listening to the podcasts, I think you're leaving a legacy out there for a lot of people to just be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. So well, we're very thank you for that. Say that. We really appreciate you and uh, just love uh, listening to and learning so much from, from people like you, man. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Give our thanks to all your lovely team members too, and and your dear wife Sonia. And yeah, we'll absolutely do. Have a great day, guys. Have a great Take day. Care. Thanks so much. Cheers. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if so, make sure to subscribe, download, and share it with your sphere of influence. You know, we bring a variety of topics to you, and it's like a masterclass for those topics, and it's all free. So take a screenshot, share it on your social media, and add the hashtag Bold Conscious Connections so that we can find you, see you, maybe say hello. And if you want to deep dive into some of the topics that we bring to you, uh, find us at www.livemasterminds.com and get to know us. Take care. <laughs>